You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? Probably may notice that my voice sounds a little weird this morning. I'm fighting the funk. Anybody fighting the funk this morning? I'm just, I'm excited to be here, so um, I believe I've got a, a word to share, so I'll just apologize up front um, and going to do my best with a cough drop in my mouth and a bottle of water right here to get through this, but um, so I appreciate your, your grace um, in that area. Uh, also, just a couple of housekeeping uh, matters before we jump into the message today. I just want to say thank you to um, the handful of people that came out yesterday morning to help us clean up the church property. There was some debris scattered about and everything, and so just appreciate the way that you model um, servanthood as your posture to come and be sure that the church looks good and presentable so that we can put our best foot forward for uh, Sunday morning. And then I've had a number of you already um, reach out to me asking if there was anything that we would be doing or any, any way that you could be a part of um, helping with some of the hurricane victims and everything. And uh, no doubt many uh, of, of the rest of you are, are wondering that as well. Um, you know that we are uh, in, in close relationship with Next Level Church in Fort Myers, Florida. And um, as a matter of fact, the, our staff was supposed to leave today to go to Fort Myers to be at a conference there this week. Um, but because of the hurricane and everything, it, it was canceled um, I'm, no doubt you've seen pictures of that area and everything. And, um, so they are uh, rallying and mobilizing their teams um, to be able to minister to that community. And they've set up a way for us to be able to give, to provide financially, to help meet some of those needs. And so um, for those of you that give um, in, uh, in person and you put money in an envelope and drop it off in a silver box... If you would like to give toward that effort, you can simply put a gift in an envelope and mark, you know, Hurricane Ian um, on there and uh, drop it off. If you give online or on the Church Center app, um, you'll see in the, in the drop down, there's now a Hurricane Ian disaster relief um, fund that you can direct monies toward. And then for those of you that text, you can text any amount to the number 84321 and include the keyword Ian. And then that will get the funds designated to that. And so uh, here over the next couple weeks, we're going to have that fund open for anybody that would like to give. um, And 100% of those monies will be sent to Next Level Church to their disaster relief fund. And then they already have the connections and um, the relationships with organizations and the people in their community. Um, And all of that money is going to go to meet the needs of hurricane victims there in the Fort Myers area. So um, first and foremost, that's the way that you can get involved. And so if you have any questions about that, um, you can stop by the Next Steps tent on your way out and uh, somebody can point you in the right direction of how to get involved with that. Good deal? Cool. So today we're kicking off a brand new series called The Best Investment, where Over the next four weeks, we're going to consider how putting Jesus first in the areas of our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony is 
the best investment that you and I could ever make. And so if you got your Bibles, you got a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me. We're going to start in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 90. We're going to take a look at a verse there. And then here in a few minutes, we're going to flip over to the New Testament, and um, we're going to take a look at a passage out of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, so Ephesians chapter 5. So you can turn or swipe there and then keep a finger, uh, Psalm 90, and then keep a finger in place for Ephesians. Um, Our default mode seems to be operating from a scarcity mindset. According to WebMD, a scarcity mindset is when you're so obsessed with a lack of something that you can't seem to focus on anything else, no matter how hard you try. And so we, we approach um, a scarcity mindset in these areas of our time, our talent, and our, our treasure, and our testimony. And, and so I, I just um, want to talk a little bit about that this morning. We're going to start by taking a look at Psalm 90, verse 12. Here's what it says in the New Living Translation. It says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. In the contemporary English version, it reads this way. It says, teach us to use wisely all the time that we have. And so this morning, we're going to zoom in on that area of our time. And when it comes to time, a scarcity mindset simply says this, I don't have enough, right? I don't have enough. I don't have enough time to realize my dreams. I don't have enough time to achieve my goals. I don't have enough time to improve my marriage. I don't have enough time to become a better parent. I don't have enough time to become a more engaged follower of Jesus Christ. I simply don't have enough time to whatever it is, fill in the blank. That is typically the excuse we use, the thing that holds us back from becoming who we want to be, who God has called us to be, is often because we simply don't have enough time. And, and, and really, it's not that we don't want to do any of those things. We just don't believe that there's not enough time in the day for it to be accomplished. And, and this is what drives that, that scarcity mindset. And the truth is, though, this morning, that you and I, we have the same amount of time as everyone else who is doing those things, the people that are accomplishing those things. We have the same amount of time as they do. And the only difference is how we leverage our time. If you dare, there is a function on your phone. If you have an iPhone, it's called screen time. If you don't have an iPhone, why do you hate Jesus? (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. But if you, I don't know what it's called on an Android because I'm an, I'm an Apple user. But if you have an iPhone, it's called screen time. No doubt there's something like that on your phone if you have something other than an iPhone. But you can look and you can actually, if, if I, I would tread cautiously because you're not going to like what you see. But when you go there, it's, it will show you actually how much time you spend on your phone and the way that you use your phone. And when we dig into that, just a quick Google search gives us some statistics. The average American looks at their phone 63 times every single day. And they touch, tap, or swipe on their phone over 2,600 times 
every single day. The top 10% of users actually do that, um, double that amount of time, up to 5,000 times a day. On average, on average, Americans spend 38 hours per week on their phone. Last time I checked, that's the equivalent to a full-time job that we spend on our phone. Seven of those hours each week are devoted to Facebook, and five hours each week are devoted to YouTube. In addition to that, we spend approximately somewhere between three and four hours a day watching TV. Over the course of a 65-year-old, uh, 65-year lifespan, that's the equivalent of nine years that we spend simply watching TV. So make no mistake about it this morning. We have plenty of time. We have plenty of time. We just don't have proper priorities. Instead, what we've chosen to do is we wear busy like a badge of honor. You know, somebody says, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Hey, what's going on with you? Oh, you know me, busy, busy, right? We say that, we find ourselves saying that because it's a badge of honor, because it's how, in our culture, it's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be busy. And we've learned to manage our time, if we could even call it that. We've learned to manage our time under the guise of rush and hurry. And that's just the way that we live, because that is the expectation of everyone around us. We see other people doing that. And so it's just, it's just how life is. It's how it's become here in America in 2022. We've no doubt heard a lot about the term time management. It's a subject that is talked about in the workplace, in the marketplace, in our schools. Volumes of books have been written on the subject of time management, but I would contend that you and I, um, it, what you and I experience most often has very little to do with time management and quite a bit more to do with priority management. Consider what John Maxwell says about priority management. He says, time management is an oxymoron. Time is beyond our control and the clock keeps ticking regardless of how we lead our lives. Priority management is the answer to maximizing the time that we have. Author Mark Twain said this. He says, to change your life, you need to change your priorities. Stephen Covey says this about priorities. He says, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities, right? And then I love this quote from Greg McCown. He says, remember... I don't know. I messed that up, I guess. Remember that if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. If you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. So we have to be purposeful and intentional about the way we choose to live. Because if we don't prioritize the right things in our life, make no mistake, the devil will be more than happy to help us fill it up with all the wrong stuff. If you show me your calendar this morning, I'll show you the kind of person you're becoming. The question would be like, do you, do you want to get healthy? Then where are you spending time in the gym? Where are you spending time eating right? Do you, do you want to enrich your marriage? Then when's your next, next date night on the calendar? Do you, do you want to have a better relationship with your kids? Then, then when are you gathering around the table for a meal or having a family game night? 
Do you want to become a more engaged follower of Jesus Christ? Then, then when on your calendar, when's the designated space for you to go to church or spend time reading your Bible or, or engaging in prayer and, and, and studying the scriptures? When is all of that happening? Because Thomas S. Monson, he says this. He says, our lives will depend on the decisions which we make for decisions determine destiny. So, so then you and I, we've, we've got to be purposeful and intentional about making the right decisions that are going to move us in the direction of the person that we want to become. We can't just like wake up in the morning and, and just float along on the breeze like some feather or whatever, and just being tossed to and fro and and at the mercy of everything else, we have to determine before our feet hit the floor who we're going to be and how we're going to live because that's going to move us in the direction of who we are going to become. Perhaps you've heard about what is known as the Eisenhower decision matrix off of a quote from uh, President Dwight D. Eisenhower when he said, I've got two kinds of problems, the urgent and the important. The urgent are not important, and the important are never urgent. And so I want to give you some tools this morning that as we're, as we're beginning to, to choose how we shape our time and how we prioritize things, I, I want to give you some practical tools that you can put into place to determine how you're going to prioritize and how you're going to structure your time so that you can be moving down the road towards becoming who God wants you to be. And so the the Eisenhower um, decision matrix, it looks like this right here. And so you've got these four quadrants. And up here at the top, you've got this is what's important. And then down here at the bottom, this is what's not important. And then moving left to right, you have this is what's urgent. And then this is what is not urgent over here. And so we have these, these four quadrants, and it starts with this one, and this is the do now quadrant. These are the, 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 the important and urgent tasks. And these are the things that are done immediately and personally. These are the things that only you can do in your life. These are things like handling crises or deadlines or problems. It's, this is like the most, like the, the number one thing that, the, that we should be prioritizing in our life. The second box over here is these are the things that they're important, but they're not urgent. This quadrant, the tasks here, they, they get an end date and they're done personally. So what happens is, is you schedule time for those in your calendar and you're working toward that every single day or every single week to make sure that you're prioritizing that stuff so that you handle it personally and directly. These are things like our relationships or planning or recreation, stuff like that. Then we move down here into the delegate box. This is the stuff that it's urgent, but it's not important. These quadrants, are the, the tasks in these quadrants, what we do is we find other people We find other ways to offload that stuff so that it's still getting done, but we're not necessarily the ones that have to do it. These are things like interruptions or meetings or activities that we're not totally passionate about or fully engaged in. And then this last box over here, this is the stuff that it's not important, nor is it urgent. 
It's the delete box. This is the quadrant that, that we've got to get rid of this stuff in our lives. And these things, the stuff in, in this box, are the time wasters or the trivial items. And what I've come to discover is that when I really take a, a long, hard look at my calendar and how I'm spending my time, I'm spending way more time in these two quadrants than I am in these two quadrants. That this is the stuff that it's like the time drain. It's like sucking all of your time away because these are the things that scream the loudest. And so we turn our attention here, and then what happens is, is we've spent all of our time here doom scrolling on the internet. And then we don't have time for the things that are most important. And so when we look at all of the things of our all the tasks, all the duties, all of the activities, if we lay those out, we can begin to put them in these boxes and we'll quickly see these are the things that I need to be focusing my time on. These are the things that I need to be prioritizing. We need to spend the majority of our time on this stuff right here, and then equipping and empowering people in our lives to do and to lead and to overtake these items here, and then getting rid of the rest of this stuff. And if we do that, we'll get things moving in the right direction. So utilizing a tool like this will help us to discover the things in our life that are the most important. And here's what Anthony Robbins says about that. He says, when you know what's most important to you, making a decision is quite simple. When you know what's important, then it's going to be really easy for us to figure out, well, duh, of course, this is the thing that I do. Because this is important to me. This is what's adding value to me. And the good news is, is guess what? You get to choose what things add value to you. You get to choose the kind of person that you want to be and how you want to live your life. No one else chooses that for you. You get to choose. You have the power to make those decisions. In his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey shares a story about what has now become known as the big rocks concept. His book reads this way. An expert on the subject of time management was lecturing to a group of business school students. And to drive home a point, he used an illustration those students will probably never forget. Standing in front of a classroom filled with self-motivated overachievers, he pulled out a one-gallon wide mouth mason jar and set it on the table. Then he produced half a dozen fist-sized rocks and carefully placed them one at a time into the jar. When the jar was filled to the top and no more rocks would fit, he asked, is this jar full? And everyone in the class said, yes. And he said, really? He then reached under the table and pulled out a sack of gravel. He slowly began dumping the gravel in, pausing to shake the jar as he did so the gravel would work its way down into the spaces between the big rocks. And then he smiled and asked the group once more, is the jar full? Some of the class were starting to catch on. Probably not, one of them called out. Good, he replied. Next, he reached under the table and brought out a bag of sand. And he started shaking the sand in, and it sifted down into all the spaces left between the rocks and the gravel. Once more, he asked the question, now is the jar full? No, the class shouted. Excellent, he said. And finally, he grabbed the pitcher of drinking water from the desk and began to pour it in until the jar was filled to the brim. 
Then he looked up at the class and asked, what's the point of this illustration? And one eager student raised his hand and said, the point is, no matter how full your schedule is, if you try really hard, you can always fit some more things into it. (laughs) Right? That's how we live our life, right? Nice try, the speaker said, but that's really not the point at all. The truth is, this little mason jar illustration teaches us the simple but powerful principle. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. We got to start with the big rocks. And so for the next few minutes today, I want to talk to you about this concept right here. Simply this. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. You always have time for the things you put first. We always have time for the things we put first. Here's what Paul has to say about that. Ephesians 5, I told you to turn there earlier. We're going to look at verses 15 through 18. He says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Note that that Paul is echoing what we read in Psalms 90 earlier, that that living wisely is the focus here. That wisdom is kind of the the end goal, that if, if we can choose to prioritize and structure in such a way so that we are living wisely, like that's what we're after. And, and there's a reason for that. Consider what the Bible says about wisdom. Here, it, it talks a lot about wisdom. Here's just a couple things. In Proverbs 4, 7, it says, getting wisdom is the wisest thing that you could do. How interesting that it describes itself with the word. I just love that. Here's, here's a breakdown of wisdom. Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 18, it says, joyful is the person who finds wisdom. The one who gains understanding for wisdom is more profitable than silver and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. I don't know about you, but that's the kind, those are the kinds of things that I want to experience in my life, right? I want to experience joy. I want to, I want to experience something that's more profitable than silver, that, that I have these, these wages that are worth more than gold, that it's, it's precious to me, that there's long life and, and enjoyment. It's a tree of life that, that, that for those of us that embrace wisdom, that, that we'll be happy as a result of of choosing to live that way. Yeah, isn't that how we want our lives to be defined? I know it is how I want mine. And so what Paul tells us in his Ephesians uh, chapter 5 passage there, in verse 16, he says, make the most of every opportunity. And and some translations um, read, redeem the time. That's what he says, redeem the time. And it's actually, that, that word redeem, it's, it's the Greek word uh, exagorazo, which, which means to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity 
for doing good. This redemption, it's the idea of of going in and purchasing something to to buy it back. And so you're taking, what's happening is, is you're taking time that was once being used for one purpose and you're buying it back. And instead, you're using it for an entirely different purpose. You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the way that I was living in an unwise way. And I'm going to redeem that time and put it in its proper place in accordance with proper priorities so that I can live as a person of wisdom. That's what Paul is telling us. And in doing so, he highlights what I believe are really three categories that you and I need to reorganize our priorities and that we need to prioritize the right things. And those categories are our work, our, I'm sorry, our walk, our work, and our will. Our walk, our work, and our will. And so if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. Three priorities you and I must make if we're going to redeem the time. Three priorities you must make if you're going to redeem the time. The first one of those priorities is the priority of servanthood. And this impacts our walk. This impacts our walk. Verse 15 of Ephesians 5, Paul says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Consider what Jesus told his disciples in Mark 10. He says this, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, prioritizing servanthood means that we have to surrender self. We have to shift our focus from others or or, or from ourselves onto others. And and this speaks directly to one of our core values here at Christ Walk Church. We say that servanthood is our posture. And what this looks, looks like practically is that we simply seek out those who are close to us, but they're far away from God. And then we work to meet their needs. The way that it it works, the way that it adds up in our life is simply you see a need and you meet that need. It's as simple as that. And Paul tells us in our endeavor here, he says, when you're you're looking at, when you're choosing to live this way, he says, you need to be careful. He actually talks about um, walking circumspectly in some translations. And and, and that that really means to, to be careful because the reason we need to be careful is because choosing to live this way, this type of lifestyle of servanthood of others before self, it's contrary to our sinful nature. So we have to be purposeful. We're not just going to like be walking along and, and slip and fall into a lifestyle of servanthood where we're putting other people in front of ourselves. It, it, it's, it's like if, if, if this room were filled with mouse traps that were loaded and ready to go, and you were charged with the task of walking from here to there barefoot and navigating all of those mouse traps, you know, you, you wouldn't just go like, and just take off running through it, right? You know, just all willy-nilly and everything. No, you turn into the guy from Mission Impossible trying to avoid all the lasers in the room to get the jewel. You know, like, you'd be like, you, you would be calculating every single step that you were going to take. Your decisions would be intentional because you would want to be sure to not get your big toe or worse off, your pinky toe. 
Some of y'all be feeling that tomorrow, even just me saying it. You don't want to get it caught in one of those traps. And this is how we're going to live, how we've got to live if we're going to battle against the sin of self and instead become a servant. Because the devil, he, there's all of these traps that he's setting up to, to cause us to become inward focused. Not just as individuals, but guess what? As this church, he wants nothing more than for us to just focus on what's going on right here in this room. And when we do that, when, when we lose sight of what's taking place outside the four walls, when we lose sight of what's taking place outside of us, then the enemy has won. So we've got to be sure that we're considering others before ourselves. Because the truth is, is that we're never more like Jesus than when we serve other people. And so if he tells us that, that he came not to be served, but to serve others, then shouldn't that be kind of the drive of our life as well? Because we want to pattern our lives after Jesus. So here's a question to consider. Where in my life am I allowing selfishness to overshadow opportunities for me to serve others? Where in my life am I allowing selfishness to overshadow the opportunity for me to serve others? We got three priorities. The first one of those is servanthood. Second priority we're going to take a look at today is the priority of Sabbath. And this is directly connected to that category of work where, where um, servanthood was connected to our walk. Sabbath is connected to our work. And Paul says in verse 17 of Ephesians 5, he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So what does the Lord want us to do? Well, the Ten Commandments tell us that. And, and we find in the Ten Commandments, we find the, the first three of the Ten Commandments we see it is in direct relationship with, or deals directly with our relationship between us and God. And the last six deal with our relationship between us and others. And then there in the middle, we have this, we have this one commandment. And it says, remember in Exodus 20, verse 8, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. See, if we're going to prioritize the Sabbath, it means that we've got to surrender our success. The world tells us that in order to be successful, we have to do more, more, more. We got we to gotta, uh, be more. We got to work more. We got to spend more time away from, uh, away from our families and outside of the house. And we got to do all of this and this and just over-consume, over-consume, over-consume. And we take on the mindset that because our schedules are so overcrowded and overwhelming to begin with, that, that we couldn't possibly afford to take an entire day away from work or productivity. And Truett Cathy said, hold my sweet tea, you know? And he proved the world wrong. He proved the business world wrong. And we see how the Lord has blessed the company of Chick-fil-A because of, of sticking to um, that principle in the business world. And it's the, it's the same for us. Here, here's what Robert Morris, Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway Church, what he says about the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath isn't a religious chore, you have to do so God won't be mad at you. 
It's a gift God has instructed you to give yourself so that you can be his healthy, productive, long-lived representative to a broken world and accomplish everything that he put you on this earth to do. God gives us two instructions when it comes to the Sabbath. He says, first, remember it. Remember it. When we Sabbath, what's happening is is that we're remembering the the deliverance of the Lord in our life. We're remembering that he delivered us from Egypt. We're remembering in, in the past. In the present, we're remembering his deliverance from sin. And in the future, we're remembering that ultimately, one day, we're going to be delivered from the evil presence of this world. So he says, remember it. The second thing he says, keep it holy. And, and holiness, it's tied into to wholeness, to fullness, to completeness. That, that God said, be holy as I am holy. What he was calling us to when he said that is to be, to be whole, to be complete, to be lacking nothing. And when we keep the Sabbath holy, we, we remember and, and, and we're, we're, uh, we're pressed in that that is the place where we find rest. And through that rest, that we're made whole and complete. And so in the past, for the Jews, that was the promised land. In the present, for you and, for you and me, that's, that's Jesus Christ. And in the future, that's heaven. It's where we have to look forward to that, that we're going to be completely at rest. We are going to be completely made whole. And so... God gives us these instructions for the Sabbath. And we realize that the wise choice is to not live a life that has us chasing after all of these empty pursuits that leave us unfulfilled and cause us to feel busy and tired all the time. Is anyone sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? I'm over being busy, right? So we have to Sabbath. And so when when we choose to live this way, what we discover is that, that Sabbath then is both something that we lean on and it's something that we launch from. It's that place of rest. And and Sabbath becomes the inspiration for and the destination of our aspiration, which is to be whole, to be holy. Because that's why we're filling our calendars with all this stuff anyways. Because we feel like we have to have it because it means something to us. Because it adds value to us. Because it completes us. And the Father is saying, no, if you would just take time and you'd come to me, I would give you the rest. I would give you the completeness. I would give you the wholeness of everything that you desire. And so when we Sabbath, what happens is is it it helps us to keep our tanks full. In his book, Take the Day Off, Robert Morris talks about four different tanks that, that need to be full. Our spiritual tank, our physical tank, our emotional tank, and our mental tank. We keep our spiritual tanks full by reading the Bible, by praying, by serving others, by practicing spiritual disciplines. We keep our physical tanks full by taking a nap, exercising, yard work, eating a good meal. We keep our emotional tanks full by engaging in relationships with other people, with our friends, spending time with our families, through sexual intercourse for married couples only. Like that's part of, that's, that's part of God's design for us. We keep our mental tanks full by reading books other than the Bible, something um, or, or, or something outside of what's work-related, you know, just something that's going to stimulate our mind or by watching a movie or taking in a sporting event, participating in a hobby. 
All of these things, it, it, when we practice that on the Sabbath, it helps to keep us full so that we're not pouring out of an empty cup throughout the week. Because that's impossible. We can't pour out of an empty cup. We've got to keep our cup filled so that we can pour into other people's lives. And so what we discover is that when I keep the Sabbath holy, I keep me holy. Because it, it causes me to separate my lifestyle and values from that of the rest of the world. It causes me to slow down and focus on the things that are most important. It, it helps me to overcome the temptation of believing that I'm capable of doing all of this on my own. And it allows me to receive the gift of rest that Jesus offers us. So question to consider here, is there anything standing in the way of my honoring God by keeping a weekly Sabbath? Is there anything in my life that's standing in the way of my honoring God by keeping a weekly Sabbath? Three priorities. The first is servanthood. The second is Sabbath. The third is sanctification. Sanctification. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What Paul is referring to here is it's, it's a matter of control. Are we going to allow our flesh to control our decisions? Or are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to control our decisions? He talks about this in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, if we're going to prioritize sanctification, that means surrendering our satisfaction. We can't, we can't live the Burger King lifestyle anymore where we have it our way. We've got to come to the realization that God's way is the best way. And then we behave accordingly. That it, it's, 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 not about, it's not about us and the things that we want and the things that we desire and all the stuff that this flesh is screaming for. But it's about getting, moving past that and connecting with our heavenly father and putting first the things that he wants for us rather than the things that we want for ourselves. Paul continues in Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. He says, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. This is a message for somebody right here. These words right here. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Time is running out. And there's some of us that, that we're, not, we're not prioritizing sanctification. We're not prioritizing holiness in our life. And, and eventually, if, if, if we don't course correct, 
eventually we're going to come up short because time's running out and it's time for the church to be the church and it's time for for believers to live the way believers ought to believe or for believers to live the way believers ought to live it's time for those of us who claim to be Christ followers to prove it by the way that we act by the way that we live our lifestyle by the way that we treat other people because guess what the world they can see straight through it they can see straight through when, when we're not when we're not living lives when we're not being who we claim to be the world sees straight through it and guess what they want nothing of that they want no part in it so we need to hear those words of Paul time is running out we need to wake up for our salvation is nearer than the time that we first believed just like Chris said earlier, we, we're living in these end times. So it's time for us to be people who prioritize sanctification and holiness in our lives. And that we're, we don't just get together in our holy huddles and talk about it. But we go out into the world and, and we walk it out. We live it in front of other people so that we can serve as an inspiration to them. Pointing them in the direction of Jesus. So the question here for us to consider is, am I being controlled by my flesh or am I being controlled by the Holy Spirit? Am I being controlled? Am I making decisions and and determining my priorities based on the things that I want, based on the things that please me, that feel good to me? Or am I doing it? Am I living my life based on the things that God wants for me and the best that he has in store for me? Three priorities, servanthood, Sabbath, and sanctification. Just want, just for a second, imagine if we chose to prioritize each of those things in the areas of our walk and our work and our will. Imagine what your life might look like as a result of making that decision. What would your life look like a week from now, a month from now? a year from now, who would you be this time next year if you chose to live that way? How might your relationships with your spouse or your children or your friends be changed for the better if we chose to prioritize the right things in our life? How might this church and its position in this community be changed as a result of just a simple shifting of our our priorities and getting the right things in the right place and in the right order? close with this from Warren Wearsby he says we number our years not our days but all of us have to live a day at a time and we do not know how many days we have left a successful life is composed of successful days that honor the Lord what I want for me and what I want for all the people that call Christ Walk Church home and call me their pastor I want us to live successful lives. I want us to live lives that matter, that make a difference. And the way that we do that, a successful life is composed of successful days that honor the Lord. And so that means that today I decide I'm gonna prioritize well. And I'm gonna put first things first. And I'm gonna make time for those things. And then tomorrow I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do the same thing over again. 
and then the next day and the next day, one day at a time. And when you live your life that way, then at the end of your days, which we don't know how many days we have, but at the end of whatever number of days those are, we look back and we can say, that was a successful life. Because each and every day, each and every day we got up and we said, I'm gonna put first things first. Because we always have time for the things that we put first. So the question I wanna leave you with here today in closing is simply this. Are the things that you're putting first helping you to become the person God's called you to be? Are the things you're putting first helping you to become the person that God's called you to be? Are the things that you're giving first place and first priority to in your life, are they helping you to become that person whose lifestyle and whose character and whose mindset and attitude mimics that of Jesus Christ? If not, then I would suggest it's time to change our priorities put something else in first place. Ultimately, that begins with choosing to put Jesus Christ first. And if you're here today with us in the room, you're watching online this morning, and you've never done that, you've never put Jesus Christ in first place. You've never surrendered your life to him and entered into covenant relationship with your heavenly father. You'd like to do that this morning. I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. We pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.